Welcome to Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Serena. And I'm Katie. Today we will be sharing the conversation we had with Maggie Slight from back in 2021. Maggie is well known in the Mormon podcasting community as one-fourth of the now-concluded podcast, Strangers No More, which joined Holy Human in the Dialogue Podcast Network at the time. But Maggie's creative juices haven't stopped flowing. They are a rebel, a community builder, and an online activist. She currently runs Slightly Maggie, S-L-I-G-H-T-E-L-Y, Maggie, a podcast and a YouTube vlog, My Knees, that's M-E-S, a blog, and can be found on TikTok as Neurodivergent Granny. It took us a lot of time to get this one out into the world, and a lot has changed in Maggie's life since we had this interview. In lieu of these important updates, we plan on releasing a second part to this interview in the next few weeks to check back in with Maggie and learn from them. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. My name is Maggie Slight, like a slight mistake with an E on the end. (laughs) I go by she, her, but sometimes I slip into they, them, and that's due to what I will term as brain injury reaction, which is a dissociative identity disorder. Brain injury being the Mm. complex PTSD that led to the dissociative identity disorder. So this body represents many different people. (laughs) I'm not going to guarantee that I'm going to stay in Maggie or Sister Maggie, although we did have a conference before this interview, and I requested that just we stick to at least fronting. But that doesn't mean that's going to happen. You know, that's a part of the illness. Now, that is an illness. Where it comes to languages and how to address me, I prefer identity first language, which means that I prefer to be called disabled and neurodivergent person rather than a person with. I I feel like that's me holding on to baggage. (laughs) No, I I don't have that many hands. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Only one body, unfortunately. Right. It's, it's, there's only, it, boy, if, if we could only have more than one body, it would make my life so mm-hmm. much easier because we have a diverse range of interests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, what am I up to? What do I do? Mm-hmm. I am finishing writing my first book. Oh! The book is called The Car That Ran on Prayers. And it is about July 2016 to around July 2017. In all of that time period, I was, for the most part, living in a 1983 Volvo sedan. It's mm. a long time to be living out of your car. Well, now, there were ins and outs. I stayed with friends here mm-hmm. and there. I, in part of it, a very generous bishop who didn't understand why he was doing it, except to explain to me that he was just doing what God told him to. Mm. It made no sense to him. Put me up in a hotel. So, <laughs> Wow. That's great. But, you know, th- there were all different things that happened throughout this entire time, which is in the book. And I put it together in a nonfiction memoir. 
How exciting. Oh, I'm excited for that. I, I really want to read that. Yeah. All in all, that wasn't the only time when I was baptized into the church. Mm. I was not living in a home of my own. Mm. So <laughs> I didn't have a home to call my own until I had been in the church for over four years. Wow. So, yes, yes, I have attention deficit disorder. I have autism spectrum disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and sensory processing disorder. <laughs> On top of the, the EDS and the DID. Oh, man. It's not uncommon. No. And it's more common. It's mm. very common for people with EDS to have all of those. Mm. Very common for people with DID to have those. So what does that mean? A lot of us who have multiple of those diagnoses mm -hmm. believe that it's all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. When your connective tissues are more bendy, your brain tissue is more bendy. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. That makes the sense. cells in your brain aren't in a different body. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. made up of the same genetic components of the rest of your cells. Yeah. Remind us how old you were when you learned about the church and got baptized and what that process was like for you. Well, that was kind of an interesting process. On October 10th, 2010, it was a very binary moment for me. <laughs> I, uh, ten, ten, yeah, ten. I, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> at 10, 10 in the morning, <laughs> I walked away from everything I ever knew. And I was in the process of a divorce from my first husband. I was living in a very small town, which I'm now back in, Olympia, Washington. And while we were going through this divorce, it was a very rough time in both of our lives. We've been married for over 20 years. And we just kept running into one another. And it was just a bad situation. Well, being a disabled person who had spent a lot of time in bed, I had created quite a network of friends in social networks. And this was back in 2010. And I'd been invited across the country to friends' houses to stay for a night or a week or whatever. And I decided to leave everything I ever knew behind and to take them up on it. Well, during those travels... I kind of felt like I was being stalked by Christ. <laughs> and, okay, I, I had a good friend of mine who was a fifth-generation Latter-day Saint. And I, I had a brief relationship with him, and it wasn't a normal thing for me to spend time talking to somebody who was my boyfriend's father about God mm -hmm. on the phone, miles away. He lived down in Texas, and he was what I was told was a quote-unquote high priest. I had no idea what that meant, mm. and wanted to talk to me about living with his son. I had no idea what that meant. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> But he and I 
started talking about God. And his son and I eventually parted as friends. He told me, he says, I'll be your friend for eternity. Well, I didn't even know what eternity was at that point. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) And I was mad. And I broke up with him. And I went and I left across the country. And I actually ended up buying a car from him. I bought a BMW. And that was the first car that I had lived in. On my way across the country in the BMW, I took a wrong turn in Idaho, in Twin Falls. I ended up in front of this building that I could feel. Mm. Now, Larry, the high priest in Texas that was my friend's dad, and I had talked about temples. And I knew I wasn't allowed in because I was a member of the general public. But seriously, I took four pictures of that temple and I texted this man and I said, why can't I feel this building? That does not make sense to me. (laughs) Wow. That text to him was in 2011, two years and a lot of drama later, a lot of drama. (laughs) I had come out of an adulterous relationship and I was in the wrong and oh so wrong. And I get on my knees and I asked Heavenly Father how to come closer to Christ on March 6, 2013, two years later after Mm -hmm. the temple situation. And all of a sudden, I feel you need to become a member of the church, and you know which church. Well, go back a little bit. Where I was staying, I had been invited to a potluck at uh, a stake center with some friends. The friends happened to be related to the previous boyfriend, but we won't go into that. I felt the spirit at the potluck. Mm-hmm. But I ended up moving. I was camping in, in various places, but I didn't have a vehicle. And I couldn't figure out how to get to the meeting house of the, the area that I was in. So I had started before this prayer, about two weeks before this prayer, I had started calling the phone number listed on Google for the meeting house in my mm. area. Mm. I will figure it out because after the pot, like I downloaded the Book of Mormon onto my netbook and I read it and I prayed about it because that's what it says to do. And I said, oh boy, this is real. Now I got to figure out which churches use it. And I will not belong. I will figure out any other church. I will not belong to that church. <laughs> oh, I fought. I fought hard. <laughs> there are other churches. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I know them very well now. (laughs) I I am very good at well-researching all of my neurodivergent special interests in religion is Mm. one. (laughs) Mm, Gotcha. Anyway, after I had that argument with God, I tried that phone number for two weeks and nobody ever answered. Mm. And I got on my knees and asked Heavenly Father, I said, so how do you come closer to Christ? And that's kind of how I asked him. And sure enough, bosom burning, literal light through the window. Not supposed to be sunny that day. It was March 6, 2013. You look up at the weather in Centralia. It was not supposed to be sunny that morning. It was not supposed to be sunny that morning. Hello, God. Hi, I see you. Yes, I know. Uh, I hear you. 
(laughs) And that's how God talks to me. And he's talked to me that way most of my life, only it's gotten a lot louder ever since March 23rd, which was my baptism. And yeah, it took me three weeks to be baptized. And yeah. That's quick. When I got up off that prayer, I didn't know what to do. And, And the next impression was that I needed to call my granddaughter's other grandma who was a member of the church and that she'd know what to do and how to get missionaries to my door. And so I called her and I explained to Mary exactly what had happened. And she said, what a testimony. And I said, what's a testimony? And how do I get the missionaries to my door? Cause I think I have to learn some things here. So I, I, I had to prepare myself cause I'd been abused by people who were born as men all of my life. From the time I was an infant, I had sustained horrible abuses. So the idea that somebody with that genitalia was going to teach me about my God was number one, a little tiny bit offensive, but Mm. number two, it was something I had to prepare myself, but God had told me what I needed to do, so I could not go against him. I knew that. It's a part of my testimony when I opened the door to two of the most magnificently beautiful young women I'd ever seen in my entire life, and I didn't know that we had sisters. Oh. There's another piece. They had transferred into the Centralia ward two weeks before my call. There's another piece. They were transferred out a couple of months after my baptism, and there hasn't been sisters in that ward since. Oh, my gosh. When God tells me to do something, I listen. Because he has my back. Mm. And he showed me that over and over and over again, even though I still argue sometimes. (laughs) Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Maggie, do you remember the day of your baptism and if there were any access issues or anything? Because you, you've had EDS since before you were baptized, since you were younger, right? I have. I have. Ellis danlos syndrome, the physical disability that I live with, is something that I've lived with all of my life. I didn't know that I lived with it all of my life until 2019 when wow. I was diagnosed with it. Oh, wow. My diagnosis came after an antibiotic injury. When you give a fluoroquinolone antibiotic to a person with a connective tissue disorder, what it does is it changes the mitochondrial DNA of their connective tissue. And it causes their connective tissues to all become friable. Oh, my gosh. I went from being extremely hypermobile and dislocating things and having minor inconveniences and a lot of Mm. internal stuff that that happened that nobody saw to all of a sudden, for instance, in the beginning of June, I was standing, walking, no twists or turns or anything like that. A muscle in my foot tore. Oh, wow. Spontaneously tore. I'm sitting here and I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs to doctors in my area going, yeah, it's not like I should be concerned or anything. I mean, I don't have any muscles in my heart, in my chest that could spontaneously rupture and Ah! 
or anything. I was just taken aback at the lack of concern for my health and their desire to blame everything on my weight, which is not that much over the scales, as it were, and to go ahead and blame everything that is happening on my body, on my BMI, rather than taking into consideration the fact that I have a congenital condition that has been triggered by this fluoroquinolone toxicity is malpractice. Oh, yeah. And basing it on an imperfect measurement, right? BMI. That's what I learned. Like, I mean, right around when we started this podcast is ableism isn't just discrimination against disabled people. It's discrimination Mm. against the perfect body, right? So yeah, that's a huge way to discriminate against people is saying, oh, it's because of your weight. If you just lose weight, then all these things will get better, you know? Disregarding real chronic illnesses and not getting your diagnosis. Oh, that's infuriating. Yeah, it's just been absolutely frustrating. So what I did is I summarized the entire situation of absolute foolishness, and I prayed about it, and he reminded me that the rheumatologist that had diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos back in December of 2019, had actually told me, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Make an appointment with me. So I sent her a message, and she's on University of Washington. Mm. And I sent her a, a message, and I summarized what was going on. I said, any chance you can see me? Now, I hadn't seen her since December of 2019. Mm-hmm. And to get into the University of Washington's medical clinic, any of the specialty offices right now, it's the wait time is even higher. It's between three and six months. Ugh. She got me in yeah. within the week. Ooh. I need more doctor friends. <laughs> <laughs> to which I went, I should have messaged her a long time ago. And when Scott said you should have prayed a long time ago. Oh. You're like, touche. Touche, God. You're funny. <laughs> yeah, every time, every single time. He's got me, but I gotta ask. <laughs> wow. And I think that where I was starting to go with the Ellers Danlos conversation was my main physical disability is Ellers Danlos, the antibiotic injury that I underwent in July 2017. You'll notice that date also coincides with the time that I was ending my journey of being unhoused. Mm. Well, God works in mysterious ways. (laughs) Mm. God found me an apartment right around the same time that I was going to need a wheelchair. I did not use a power chair until... April of 2019, because it was in October of 2018 when I received my prescription for power chair. Before my diagnosis of EDS, they didn't know what it was, but they knew that I'd had an antibiotic injury. I did the research, I did the medical Mm -hmm. research and discovered that, well, this antibiotic injury really only happens to people with this syndrome. Mm -hmm. Wow. EDS is the physical disability, and it comes with a lot of comorbidities. It comes with POTS, mm. which is post-orthopedic tachycardia syndrome. About my neurodiversities, I was diagnosed with ADHD first, as you can probably tell by the constant talking. Diarrhea of the mouth was actually a, <laughs> a, a tagline that my mother constantly gave me when I was a <laughs> child. 
My seventh grade band teacher told me I had diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think your seventh grade band teacher knew my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't find out about things like echolalia and the fact that you could actually be loud and a talker and have times of quiet and times of talking until I was actually doing more research about autism. Yay! Because I have a lot of friends who are autistic. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of my preferred dating subjects are <laughs> <laughs> very autistic. How did I may just have diagnosed my fiance from last year before I diagnosed myself <laughs> with help from his sisters and mom I will say (laughs) but I I really did learn a lot about myself in that relationship and I learned that I know the people who I get along with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I made a TikTok about this this morning or last night (laughs) and I I kind of jokingly said it but I really kind of believe it's true No, I believe it's true. (laughs) And that's that what happens when we get to heaven and people realize that their neurotypicalism is actually the disorder. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I love that. (laughs) Just just ask it. (laughs) But seriously. I don't know of any neurotypical people who comprehend the Fibonacci sequence. God's math. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. <laughs> There's a lot of things that baffle me about neurotypical people. <sighs> yeah. So, I, I, I joke about things like that, but I, I really, I, I, I'm, I have now entered into this area of, of living where I've now lived past the age of my father. My mm. father unalived himself in 1999 on my birthday weekend, following in the footsteps of his father who unalived himself when my father was four. Wow. Intergenerational trauma is real. It mm. fundamentally changes the cells in the brain of the subsequent generations. It's been proven. It puts every subsequent generation at risk for complex PTSD. Mm. And that's what I live with. Not only the trauma that my father instilled Mm. upon me by his actions, but the trauma that my father's father instilled upon him in his actions before I was even conceived. And I passed those down to my children and my grandchildren without even knowing that. Because I didn't know any of this until the last few years. Bringing it back a bit, my father was an atheist. Mm -hmm. I was raised with a Christian mother of no specific denomination, but who taught me about God. And then I went to a 
non-denominational Sunday school in my neighborhood where I just walked to the person's house and we had Sunday school lessons and it was kind of cool. And I learned this song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, when I sang that song, I felt light in my chest and a warmth. And I felt God telling me that that was a little part of him. It was mine. All mine. And I went to visit my dad, and I got spanking for going to Sunday school, learning about God. I learned very quickly not to tell dad anything that I did in Sunday school. Mm. <laughs> I didn't keep me from going. I'm, I'm way too much of a rebel for that. And, and see, that's the thing, is that, you know, I, I, I've lived a lot of life. I'm 54 years old. And I own every year of that, and probably a lot more, because I've lived a lot of different lives having dissociative identity disorder. I've been a biker. I've been a stripper. I've been a sex worker. I'm a Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. This is my choice. I've made other choices. They weren't for me. This is my choice. Mm -hmm. This is where I feel peace. This is where I feel joy as an asexual, neurodivergent, disabled person. Uh, I think we found the title of the interview. Maggie Slight, Rebel for God. <laughs> I, I like Rebel for God. I absolutely Rebel for God. God. Okay. <laughs> every day, every day of my life, I'm a rebel for God. <laughs> So this is a very broad question. It's like unfairly general, but the best that you can answer it, what has been your general experience with being disabled and neurodivergent person in the church? However you want to answer that positive, neutral, negative. Frustration. <laughs> mm, frustration. Tell us more about I, Okay. <laughs> I literally, I have a note in my journal that says, why does God want me to become a member of a church? Church is about community. I don't do community. Mm. I don't do people. Mm. <laughs> this was in 2013. And I swear that that has been the constant throughout my entire <laughs> Because, well, for, for a lot of reasons. When I came into the church... I, again, I, I was camping out in a residence that wasn't my own, and it looked like I lived in a house, but I didn't. It was a house that didn't have electricity, and I only mm. was up in an attic. The rest of the house was stuffed full of possessions and kind of hoarded. And I was trying to help clean the downstairs because it had been robbed and stuff. One year after I prayed in that attic to come to the church, my second husband and I were staying in that same place the year later and I fell from the stairs and I broke my back. I, I <gasps> crushed my uh, T11. Ooh. So, um, yeah, that's <laughs> fun. See, here's where internalized ableism creeps in. Being raised in Gen X with the 
idea that if we just try hard enough, we can Mm -hmm. do anything. And we just Mm -hmm. have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And all of Mm -hmm. this is sold to us by our baby boomer generation parents. Mm -hmm. We basically, a lot of us raised ourselves. We came home to an empty house. We raised our little brothers and sisters. That was life in the early, in in the 70s and 80s. Mm. It was survival type of a thing. When I started feeling like I couldn't get out of bed to do things and I started having to take leaves out of work and such in the 1990s because of medical issues, although I didn't have a diagnosis of failure stiffness at the time, nobody knew what it was. They just saw a young woman complaining of pain. And mm-hmm. we all know what that means to male doctors. Yeah. Here's an antidepressant. Here's an anti-anxiety. Here's an antidepressant. Well, the antidepressants serve to do one thing and one thing only to my dissociative brain. They caused me to feel nothing. Mm. I couldn't feel anything. Then I didn't want to be here. Yeah. Right. So you've got dozens of unaliving attempts. Oh, man. But I want to make a very, very clear point here. I have not, not once, attempted to unalive a child of God once I knew my divine heritage. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of storms inside, and there's been a lot of crises, but there has not been any serious attempt. Mm-hmm. That's significant for me because it was realizing who I was that made all the difference for me mentally. It was the cement that I needed around all of the acronyms that were being tossed in diagnosis both before mm-hmm. and after my baptism. The correct diagnosis of DID didn't happen until two years after my baptism in 2015. The correct diagnosis of ASD didn't happen until this year. I'm 54 years old. I am older than the expected lifespan of people with autism. Yep. Isn't that 34 or 36 or something? Some put it at 36 or 38 and others put it right at 54. Oh. There are two different metrics. Yeah, two different metrics that I've read that and actually one of them was based on certain studies and the other one was based on others. Uh, But I think one was done in the UK, one was here. mm -hmm. How does that work at church in terms of your disabilities? Yes, getting back to that. I'm having a lot of frustration right now because I physically can't get to the temple. I don't own... Mm an accessible vehicle and Mm. I use a rehab power chair that either I have to have an accessible vehicle or public transportation to use. Mm. Every time I go to the meeting house, there are no buttons to open the doors. A big frustration. I have thought for eight years that I was the only person who Mm. felt alone. And I have, in my head, put people in clicks. I never know where I'm at. But recently, I had that perception challenged. I wasn't diagnosed 
except with ADHD, during any of my church attendance, because we we went virtual. Yeah. We've been virtual since I've had the Mm -hmm. autism diagnosis. I, I actually, for my testimony, our May testimony meeting about the autism diagnosis, mm. and I saw so many parallel <laughs> eyes. It was wonderful. It was like all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. All the autists in the congregation met my eyes, and I was like, I could have been happy flapping at <laughs> and I would have noticed it because I was just, yes. <laughs> wow. This is how I managed it without knowing my diagnosis. Okay. Is I preferred the Gospel Essentials class. Yes. I wanted to be in the small number of people. I wanted to have be able to ask my questions without feeling like I was taking up everybody's time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I and it also gave me an too. opportunity to bear my testimony. Mm-hmm. And then they took away Gospel Essentials when Come Follow Me came in. Mm. And I went to my bishop. I said, Bishop, I can't do this. Number one, you're putting everybody in Sunday school, has to fit into the Relief Society room, and we don't all fit in there. And I have a power mm. chair, and I'm like, what's with the power chair? And I feel like I'm crowded. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we can put you in there. It's like, it doesn't matter if it physically yeah. fits. It doesn't fit energetically. I need a lot yeah. more room than this three feet that I yeah. need. Trust me, I need a lot. I need six feet. Give me my, my six feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then are you physically going to church now then? <laughs> I've gone twice. It's not because of the access issue. It's actually because of my own personal disabilities. Mm. The second time that I went to church, mm. I went to take sacrament and it got stuck. I have dysphagia and I can't swallow a lot of things mm. and mm-hmm. it's getting a lot worse. The numbness in my throat is getting a lot worse. Mm. They may, I may end up with a feeding tube at some point in time, but I don't have one now and I'm just struggling getting hydrated. I'm struggling eating and mm. things like that. Anyway, I took that sacrament, and I am so incredibly blessed because I was sitting in the front row. The second counselor, the bishopric, is my physical therapist. Oh, yeah. And he and I caught eyes when I started choking on sacrament. And we literally had a nonverbal discussion. There was no words between us. There was just eye contact and the Holy Ghost. And I got the water, and I was okay. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, that entire episode was extremely traumatic for me. And I'm still kind of coping with that. Gotcha. I'm coping with the fact that right now I have a lot of some chest pains, some costochondritis possibly, and a lot of health issues. Yeah. So... As much as I would absolutely love to take my chair and just ride down the two miles and go to church like I did in 2019 Mm -hmm. and ride back and enjoy my gospel music on the way, Mm. I actually don't feel comfortable being alone right now. For that reason and many other reasons, I have decided to do Zoom church until I'm more stable. Okay. 
Well, if you ever want, if it's a beautiful day and nice weather, let me know. And I would love to like walk with you to church as you're, although I might have to like take little stops and sit depending on how long. Like two miles. I don't know if I can walk two miles. I could try. <laughs> I could try walking with you. I, I do accept hitchhikers too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to see this. I need to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that you were this close. Yeah. I love this conversation because you've answered like a lot of our questions without us having to prompt you just with the flow of conversation. Mm -hmm. If you're comfortable going more into your diagnosis journey with DID, we'd love to hear about that and your experience with DID a little bit more. Well, uh, I can't talk about DID without talking about gaslighting. Because <laughs> thank you yeah. to both of my ex-husbands. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's very easy to gaslight somebody when they don't have any memory of a time period. But it's also very easy to be gaslit when you trust the person next to you implicitly. Now... Yeah. I am really great at trusting the person next to me implicitly without having any basis for that trust whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love complex PTSD and codependency. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> what happened throughout my young adulthood is I got pregnant the first time when I was 16. At that time, I went to a therapist and I said, to the therapist, how do I not become my parents? How do I not abuse my child? Yeah. Long story short, that baby in that belly is now 36 years old and has not talked to me in over 10 years. Mm. The one that came after him is 34, has not talked to me in at least five years. The one that came after him, my last baby, my only girl baby, is in her 30s and her opinions of her childhood and my opinions of her childhood are diametric, not diametrically opposed. I know that I was not the best mother. And I mm -hmm. have no desire to gaslight her about her experience. Mm -hmm. I do believe that she was abused. I do believe that a, the person in my body did some of that abusing. And I mm -hmm. do believe that having a mentally ill mother who is not treated as abuse in itself in that they didn't know who I was going to be from moment to moment. Yeah. They did not know how, who to expect. So that right there creates a disorder we call reactive attachment disorder. Hmm. They didn't know how to attach to mom because sometimes mom was mom. And sometimes mom was a scary person that yelled a lot. And I'm owning every bit of that. That's me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have, and I still do not have, memory of a lot of that time. So it makes it difficult in having a relationship with adults now. I, I wouldn't say I'm still, I still have episodes of being that scary person, if you will. I have been in therapy for dissociative identity disorder now. When I was homeless and living in that car, I prayed. I said to God, I said, 
I will go anywhere and make my home anywhere that I can if you will find me a therapist who is female, who specializes in dissociative identity disorder, mm. and who is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I need these three things, and you know I need these two, three things, mm. God. I went to the Olympia Fourth Ward up on Henderson in the congregation, and I was back towards the back. And I was sitting next to this woman. She was a therapist, and we got to start talking about therapy. And I said, yeah, I'm actually really needed for therapist, and I need them to specialize in PTSD or trauma recovery. So mm-hmm. those are the key words that you use when you really mean DID. Gotcha, yeah. Because <laughs> DID is all about trauma. She looks at me, and she says, I have a good friend of mine who fits the bill right down the road. And she gives me her name. And her phone number. And then she gets up to speak because she was the Stake Relief Society president. There you go. Oh, man. And I met her, and we've been working together since 2017. Wow. Hooray! Maggie, do you want to introduce any of your alters or talk about your system? I'll talk a little bit about my system. If anybody is interested, I have a blog that's specifically about my system and it's called my m y mes m e s blog.com. Okay. Now, the reason why I called it my mes was because all my life I had the initials m e s and my mom had decided mm-hmm to tell me that I was a mess and I didn't like being a mess, Mm. but I was definitely a lot of me's (laughs) 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 and besides you have to have another S for mess. And there was never, I never married anybody with left with with, with an S. (laughs) No, no, I wouldn't do that to myself. Are you kidding? After being told I was a mess all those years. (laughs) No, no. 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 So your last name is, oh, no, pass, next. (laughs) (laughs) My last fiancé, his name was Heber, and it was completely different than all of the different names. Gosh. I love how you say my last fiancé. I love you, Maggie. You're just out here collecting fiancés. No, he's the only person I've ever dated while Latter-day Saint. I'm glad I never made it to the temple because... Mm-hmm. To make matters so iconic, and this is going to be a wonderful book when I'm able to process it all. Mm-hmm. He was an anti-masker. Ah! <laughs> You're dying right now. You're dying. I'm just, I'm, mm, I'm trying not to think about it. <sighs> How does that work with you? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That must have been terrible. But back in, back, see, you thought, you thought I had strayed off of the conversation of DID, but I had not. I had not. Because, (laughs) because, (laughs) you know how they had that ad back in the day where it's, when Apple came out with all of these, there's an app for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's an alt for that. Oh, Oh my gosh. I, Maggie! Oh my gosh, Maggie! 
Republican as I am liberal. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. However, through deep diving, I have identified no QAnon supporters and no Cheeto supporters. <laughs> okay. So we had to do a really deep dive on that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Thank goodness for that. <sighs> I am extremely liberal, and and yet there are people who live in my head that are from every side of every idea that you could want. So therefore, I am an absolute cheerleader when it comes to being next to a person. And I keep using non-genders when I'm talking about partners because I am panromantic asexual. Mm-hmm. I know that there are more than two genders. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting for the church to catch up. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Here's a question that I have. What do you personally believe about resurrection and your disabilities and neurodivergencies? Well, like like I mentioned before, I really believe that God has more of a neurodivergent brain if I was to try to quantify God's brain, it wouldn't be <laughs> that in that of a neurotypical manner. Yeah. That being said, I look forward to all of yeah. my physicality being restored. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are 13 types of Ehlers-Danlos. 12 of those types have a genetic component that has been identified one wow. has not. They have not found the genetic pieces for the one, but they think they might have, and that's actually an ongoing conversation. Here's the question when you get that much information, what do you do with it? Mm. Do you test for it pre-birth and make a decision about continuing a pregnancy, which is something that is mm. horrific to me and uh, known as mm-hmm. eugenics? Yeah. Do you introduce a virus with a gene editing on it that who knows what that means? So I actually prayed about it today. Hmm. And I said, what is this gene editing thing? And, you know, what does this mean for people with genetic conditions? And the impression that I got is that we're trying to edit in a language that we don't even comprehend. Mm. The impression that came straight from the Holy Spirit was like, imagine if I only know English. Yeah. I say that I'm going to edit a book in a Cyrillic alphabet like Russian. (laughs) As someone who speaks both those languages, um, that would be very difficult. (laughs) There you go. And that's the problem that our scientists are doing is they think they know. Yeah. They know the shape of the characters, but they don't know yeah. how the grammar works. And that's what the impression I got from the Holy Spirit was about this situation. But I've always had the impression that me as a complete being will be whole Okay. As I was, or even more whole, so that the 
the intergenerational damage that has been done to the cells that have created mm-hmm. my brain won't be there. Mm. Having Ellers Danlos doesn't always make for bad things. We are we are some of the most beautiful contortionists and dancers in the world and gymnasts. Mm. And in fact, I can watch gymnastics, I can watch the Olympics, and I can tell you each one of them that has Ellers Danlos and doesn't know. Wow. Yeah. It's the way that we move. It's mm. we have a group on on, on Facebook of Ellers Danlos dancers. <gasps> That's amazing. A lot of people with Ellers Danlos are also neurodivergent. And we sing and dance from the moment we're born. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we stim. That's how we cope with this world. It's mm-hmm. just how mm-hmm. we get along. And I can't imagine a heaven without singing and dancing. And that's, and that's mm-hmm. I guess, what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Is I can't imagine not having that flexibility and that fluidity mm-hmm. that the Ehlers-Danlos gives me. But... Without the pain and the genetic changes that the damages from this world gave me. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. You put that very well. That's an important distinction. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I I feel similarly. I don't have a, a problem with my cataplexy or my narcolepsy in theory because it is so tied up with my neurodivergence. But what I have a problem with is <laughs> the way the world interacts with it and exacerbates it without accommodating it. Like, if you're going to exacerbate it, fine, but then be prepared for the consequences, which will be my limited mobility and possibly meltdowns and whatnot. I think that's something that a lot of able-bodied and neurotypical people in the church just don't expect. They don't really see disabilities as being so intrinsic to our identity. And, and even, I feel like, in that sense, quote, disability perhaps might not even be the, the right word, but just these divergencies um, in our genetics and our brains by society. I'm disabled by the world yeah. around me because it's not made for me. Exactly. But in, hopefully we can create our own heaven, our own world that, is accommodating to our natural selves, you know, and is affirming. What brings you joy in life? Like, what are your special interests besides your book? You talked about your book, but I want to know, you said religion was one of your special interests. What are some of your other special interests from one autistic person to another? One of my major special interests that I haven't been able to fully explore is photography. I absolutely love photography, but I having come from living in a car Mm. I don't have the income to be able to access the equipment so I make do with the best I can writing poetry is one of another of my special interests Mm. I love to cook which is kind of funny because I have a eating disorder known as ARFID oh I don't know what that is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder it is actually Hmm. a eating disorder that's Involved intense restrictions on the amount of food and types of food that you can eat. But unlike anorexia, people with ARFID are not worried about their body image, shape, or size. But I get nauseous a lot of times at food. And this is a lot of times related to an intestinal disorder I have called gastroparesis. Okay. Which is comorbid with Ehlers-Danlos. Gotcha. But it just makes food... I, I could live without ever having to eat another bite of food, even though I love to cook. 
because mm-hmm. I'm just repulsed by food. It, um, I live with constant nausea. Okay. It, it's okay. not an enjoyment of me. And yet it's a special interest of mine to create recipes and stuff that I can't. Hmm. I avoid so many foods because of food sensitivities that, yeah, I will be hmm. eventually writing a cookbook. <laughs> Wrapping up, what's one thing that you want neurotypical and or able-bodied people to know? Like, what do you want them to take away from from this conversation? Well, I, I think the main thing that I would want anybody to know about me as a disabled autistic member of the church living with a lot of different challenges is that I welcome questions. Mm. I really believe most of not all of our major frustrations with one another as human beings comes from a lack of communication. Mm. And the lack of the awareness that communication is much more than verbal, and it always has been. Mm-hmm. And giving people the opportunity to have the space to have those conversations and that interaction and that communication involves time. Yeah. And as our dear Elder Uchtdorf has reminded us, time is love. Thank you for supporting Holy Human and listening to or reading our work. Just as a reminder, we will be releasing a part two to this interview to reconnect with our friend and follow up on the more recent events in Maggie's life. Be ready for that in the next few weeks. You can follow Holy Human on Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, holyhumanpodcast.com. You can also support our work on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash holyhuman. And holyhuman is W-H-O-L-Y-H-U-M-A-N. Keep up with our friends in the Dialogue Podcast Network and follow Dialogue's work at dialoguejournal.com. We also want to thank Mativ for our intro and outro music. We accessed the song through freesound.org. Thank you to Maggie for this special interview and to all our supporters.